This week's episode is brought to you by the Film Rescue Show. The Film Rescue Show is a long-form podcast in which their crew and a guest fix a film every week. Want a good first episode? Check out episode 89 with Axel and myself, where he pitched fixes for the League of Extraordinary Drummond. Still waiting on that call, Warner Brothers. For fans of filmmaking, writing, and behind-the-scenes content, check out the Film Rescue Show on all your favorite podcasting sites today. Welcome to Geeks with Shields, your home for all things good and nerdy in this The Darkest Timeline. I'm Lord Commander Orc, and with me as always is... His shield brother, Axel Wright. How's it going today, man? It is alright. We're in the second part of a double recording night, so a little peek behind the curtain here. I have some stuff happening in my house behind me that I apologize that people can hear that I don't have control over, but, you know, we, we just got done having like an hour conversation that they got pretty good. We're about to have another conversation that we're going to aim for an hour we'll see where it goes but you know i'm i'm feeling all right how are you feeling pretty good and i feel like you have issued the podcast challenge which is you've challenged something to be an hour which means it's inevitably going to go over an hour <laughs> possibly we'll see anyway before Anyways, we get into those details we've got a sound off that ulrich has the privilege to, to give the thing that doesn't go over an hour but it could our wonderful, wonderful patron sound off. These are the people that give us money so that we can keep producing this podcast and keep it free to you. These wonderful, wonderful people are Pam Galley, Marquis, Chris Chipman, River Galley, Krug, Arthur Crane, Kevin Bay, Brendan Andrew, John Vittles, Kit Kenny, Seth Decker, Don Lucy, Patrick Hansen, Carson Hall, Scott Ribbon, Derek Scotty, and Peter Cook. Now, if you would like to help make that over an hour, head over to patreon.com forward slash geeks with shields. All it costs is 25 cents on episode to get your name on that list, and it will benefit us here at the podcast. And just like the last episode we recorded, we have a guest. Feel free to introduce yourself, guest. Well, hello. I'm Wretched Giraffes, and uh, we're back again with a brand new beat. Same day. Wretched, friend of the podcast brother to me essentially and uh we're gonna talk to well actually i'll work on you tell us what we're gonna talk about today i'm not really sure the direction of this one but first clarifier this is not our anti-hero episode that one is still coming this is just an episode talking about the modern villain i think we'll call it but i do feel like the anti-hero i do feel like the anti-hero conversation is why this is in your head though so it is but this has also been in my head just in general and i don't know how to preface this other than i feel like our media is in a really weird place with how it depicts villains so real quick because i'm the semantic one and i'm the one who's like let's get our definitions out of the way even if we're gonna fight them later there are four things we need to get out of the way real quick a hero a villain, an anti-hero, and an anti-villain. Even if we're not going to talk too much about a couple of them, we should have them all defined. A hero is someone who does, who has heroic qualities, who does heroic things. And I know that's a recursive definition, but it's someone who generally does things that are beneficial to their society, to their people, to whatever. A hero is a very much a perspective thing, because different people's heroes might be other people's villains. But point is, general definition of a hero good person who does good things for the good of people genuinely an anti or a villain 
is someone who's basically the opposite of that. Someone who does evil things that cause harm or negative consequences for their society, for their other people around them, for any number of targets. And usually they do it for evil reasons, but uh, an evil in this context is usually associated with negative and harm. An anti-hero, then, is someone who does good things, but has qualities of a villain. Usually they have maybe questionable motivation or questionable tactics, but their accomplishments are still those of a hero. An anti-villain is the opposite. They're a person who is evil, whose accomplishments and their consequences are negative and harmful, but they have some heroic traits. Maybe their motivations are good. Maybe they're, they have heroic qualities, things you might expect from a hero, but still at the end of the day, they're accomplishing things that a villain would accomplish. We can debate these, but these are the general ideas of these four things. I would say the only two groups of people that care about those are screenwriters, critics, the associated people, and semantic people like Axel who like the clear definitions. I do. I think to the average layman, those words don't matter to you. (laughs) Sure. But they matter to me, so thank you. Again, I listed you in group two. Exactly. You are represented. I'm some, I admit, I said I was semantic at the top of that. Anyway, so villain. What I describe what a villain is, we're talking about villains in modernity and how villains, I guess in modernity specifically, might differentiate from from older villains. And so I think, as Ulrich pointed out, he sees a problem with modern villainy. So before we get into that... Wretched, do you have any opening thoughts about the topic? I mean, I personally think that not every villain needs to have a redemption arc anymore. Yep. I get it. I know that you guys want to have, like, a uh, if you're writing something, right, you want you want to make that villain feel more personable to people. Or at least, uh, what's, what's the term that I'm looking for? Uh, relatable. There we go. That's fine. But, like, occasionally it's okay to just have a guy that just does stuff, right? Like, uh, one of my favorites, personally, from The Flash, is I love Leonard Snart. One of his OG things was, well, why are you robbing the bank? Just to see if I could. Like, that's fine. That's fine enough. He doesn't have to have a sad backstory. He just wanted to see if he could rob the bank. I'm cool with that. I don't understand why everybody's got to be like, well, the reason I'm robbing the bank is because my, my daughter's dying of some weird illness that The Flash can't help with. Like, come on, man. Like... <laughs> Now you're just making me sad. <laughs> and based on my understanding, I think Ulrich is coming down in a similar place, correct? Yeah, I was going to say, that's kind of the big thing. But it also, this kind of spun out, is I read an article, which I wish I could remember where it was. It was in our Discord. If you're on our Discord, you can find it. Basically talking about the idea that modern pop culture is facing an inundation of villains and antiheroes, and it's all coming at a detriment to storytelling. Well, okay, I read that article, and that's I'm, not really what it said. For but. the record, I, I, well, there's a lot I disagree with in that article. I think he paints with some very broad strokes and uses anti-hero way too much. But I, that was kind of the, the the starting point of this thought process. Feel free to give some examples. You guys are saying, well, like one of the examples, and again, I may come, is you know he cites Walter White as a famous anti-hero, and I now admit it. I am still in the early days of watching through Breaking Bad, and I my stance on antiheroes is very strong, but I feel like Walter White does not qualify as that. Well, here's here's the thing. As someone who's watched Breaking Bad through three times, 
one of the reasons why Walter White is such a cool character is because he it starts off as a anti-hero and then becomes an anti-villain and then becomes a straight villain. You literally watch him journey from basically normal person all the way through to being a villain. So what you have described to me is a villain. Yeah. Who has an interesting story. It's about him becoming a villain. An interesting beginning. Yes. And that's fascinating. There's no redemption. That's good. But again, the fact that, like, from my understanding, being called an anti-hero, like, okay, that word is overused. Get that the fuck out of here. Yeah. And here's but, and here's why, real quick. There's why it's important that I made the, that dis, that thing earlier. There's a, The reason why Walter White, at the first in Breaking Bad, is seen as an anti-hero is because literally that definition. He's someone who, it seems like his motivations and his consequences are those of a hero he's trying to provide for his family he's trying to to make sure that they're safe and they're not harmed by his cancer as it goes on and he makes more and more moral compromises and it's revealed more and more actually that was pretty much a bullshit justification for him to the point where in he straight up admits at one point no i did it for me i did it because i liked it and i'm good at it that is his motivation then is revealed to be entirely selfish. That means he is... At that point, if you're watching and paying attention, you know he's a villain long before this, but this is him admitting he's a villain at that point. Yeah, and this kind of gets into our own immoral philosophies. But, I mean, if someone walks up and shoots me and steals my money and then goes, well, it's because my family's starving, that doesn't justify your action. Or like, well, he's really an anti-hero. Well, that would make him an anti-villain, but yes. <laughs> I don't care what technical term you want to describe to him. He's a villain. And the here's where I was like, ascribing these deeper meanings, that's great from an academic study point of view. But when it starts bleeding into how the character is written so that we write redemption arcs, so that we create origins or pathways or going, yes, he did all these horrible things, but he has a soft side so you can relate to him. And the idea that the audience cannot empathize and relate to a bad person is dumb. Sure. Yeah, I agree. And I think we're seeing it more and more. I mean, the most famous example of the last few years was the Cruella live-action movie that gave an origin story to Cruella that said, well, she's not all that bad. Her parents were killed by Dalmatians, don't God, you know? I fucking hate that so much. <laughs> I, I literally, I don't know if I told the story in recording before, but I did not see that movie. And then Woonvog, frequent guest of the of the show, he came up to me soon after that movie came out, and I was talking to him about it. And uh, he literally said to me, if you imagine a super hacky screenwriter who wants to make Cruella relatable, what do you think that the worst hacky screenwriter would write? And I looked at him and said, I don't know, Dalmatians killed her parents? When you brought that up, because I also have not seen this film, I thought you were joking. Nope, that happens. <laughs> oh, oh and, they, and they don't, and it's not like a normal dog kill either. It's not like they rippered, they dropkick her mom off a cliff. <laughs> that's how that goes down okay <laughs> that movie's fucking nonsense anyway are we sure this movie wasn't a comedy <laughs> a little bit <laughs> and, and i mean we've seen it more and more in the disney live action remakes which my opinion my personal take they're all hot garbage that exists to extend the copyright i like more. at least yeah i thought that maleficent was... it's, it's, we'll circle oh, back right. to maleficent because maleficent is pertinent to this conversation well, she's an anti-villain, very much so. But anyway. Yeah. But the problem is, is historically, 
we all love the classic Disney villains. Why? Because they were assholes and they had great songs and fun designs, but they didn't really go into anything more of why they were the way they were than just, no, they're, they're evil. You don't need to know why they're evil. Well, here, here's, and, what I, here's what I will say. I like both kinds of villains, and I will say that if your main criticism is we don't have enough evil for the sake of being evil villains, sure, I can agree with that. Uh, I mean, basic example, and this is maybe a bad example, but hell, Spider-Man 3, Raimi Spider-Man 3, literally contains one of each. The Sandman, as depicted in that movie, is an anti-villain. He's a villain because he's robbing banks and hurting people, but he's doing it so that he can try to get his daughter, like you know, surgery and stuff, because she's ill and whatnot. So he's got heroic motivations, villainous consequences. Meanwhile, Venom in that movie is straight evil. No redemptive quality at all. He literally says, I like being bad, it makes me happy. And so we have literally both kinds of villains coexisting in one story. Now, I will defend that movie, and a lot of people don't like it, but I'm just saying that it's a good example of the difference between the two. Yeah, but you see in a lot of these modern reruns, of all of a sudden, the villain of the story has a complex backstory to tell you why they're evil. And I'm forced to wonder why. Why has this become a trend? Why does the villain suddenly have to get a redemption arc or have a sad, tragic backstory or any of this? Why, why is this being bolted on? I will say, have either of you guys seen Puss in Boots' The Last Wish yet? Yes, I have not. So Puss I hear in... nothing but good things though. So oh, I, I'm not gonna surprising. I'm not gonna spoil too much then because it it's fucking it's good, but it's largely good because of its villains. One villain in particular, but all three villains, and literally it does a gamut of how to do villains. It's got one villain, Big Jack Horner, who literally gets called out for being unredemptive and evil, and his response is fucking duh. I mean, he doesn't say fucking, but he's like, yeah, duh. <laughs> how how why'd you take this long to figure that out? <laughs> Meanwhile, you've got another character in it, Goldilocks, who is a villain of the piece, but one who does have a a backstory. They don't spend a whole lot of time into it, but they're able to convey it very quickly. And then the third villain is somewhere in the middle, which is the big bad wolf, who I'm not going to explain his deal is, because he's he's the main reason to see the movie, but he's kind of like neutral. You, you get why he is doing what he's doing, but it's not like sad or anything like that. It's just, oh, I understand him. Okay. It's very interesting that uh, a majority of these are uh, DreamWorks villains. Like, DreamWorks out here really just writing actually good villains. For, <laughs> for me personally, I should yeah, say. Yeah, no, they, they have been. Well, remember, I, DreamWorks was spawned by people who fucking hated Disney. There's a reason why the villain of Shrek is named Farquaad, which is basically fuckwad. DreamWorks has, for the most part, not been interested in making relatable villains because their villains were a lot of times send-ups of something. I mean, yeah. even in their best series how to train your dragon like the villains were all force of nature villains essentially yeah like one of the one of the big ones that i really liked and i know the movie's got a lot of memes but like megamind right mm. like titan being this guy who had absolutely no power and is now given power is like oh yeah i'm just gonna go ahead and do whatever i want because who's gonna stop me i love that concept because i feel like there's so many people out there that would fall into that that trap right yeah and I think that's kind of the disservice that we're doing. Well, by the way, sidebar, Megamind uh, is basically the opposite of Walter White because he's someone who we see go on a journey from villain to anti-villain to anti-hero to hero. So he goes basically through the whole gamut. 
I don't know. It can be argued he was never really an effective villain, but... Yes, you could argue that he was always an anti-villain to begin with, but anyway. Semantics. And you derailed where I was going. You (laughs) bastard. Sorry. I can't can't believe you've done this to him. Yeah, but... All right. Well, I I brought up something. Have you heard the term force of nature villain before? Yes. Ulrich? Sorry, I'm trying to find where I was going with my train of thought before I was interrupted. You are the origin of my villainy, therefore nothing I do will be bad now. (laughs) Okay, fair enough. Anyway, there are many different narrative types of villains, but a lot of times a villain can be described as either a force of nature villain or a narrative villain. Narrative villains, their motivations and their impacts are usually a very important part of how the story is actually being told. This is usually where you get the ones who have explanations for why they are doing what they're doing. Like, and even if they don't, they're usually the ones who are going to monologue a lot, or they're going to have, like, deep three-dimensional characters. Force of Nature villains, on the other hand, are called that because they're less characters and more like a volcano or a storm. And a good basic delineation here would be, like, Ra's al Ghul from Batman? Narrative villain. The Joker? Most versions of the Joker, anyway. Force of Nature villain. Where... Hell, in the Joker's case, he gives multiple choice for what his backstory is because it literally doesn't matter, and he's making that point. So I've realized now. Okay, I got a thread. Oh, go the for it. The problem right. this may be, and I think this is, we're endemic, we're seeing like across the medium right now, especially in TV and movies. The writers are trying to outsmart the audience because the audience is trying to outthink the writers. They're going, oh, this is an anti-villain, and I know that, so therefore he will do this, this, and this. So the writers are going, well, well fuck, they know this, so I have to do all this. We are over like, we've The internet has created this sense of, it's given you the tools to see the writer's toolbox, and now you feel compelled to break out your toolbox, break down these characters so you can go, ha-ha, I am so smart and was not tricked by the writers, which is how we get terrible shit like subverting expectations in the Game of Thrones where, well, you expected Jon Snow, but we knew you expected Jon Snow, so here's Arya. Well, you know, and- congratulations. You have caught up with where Kevin Smith was when he wrote Red State. Well, I mean, Kevin Smith's a very smart man. But- I'm just saying, have you heard that story? That's, that's how he wrote Red State. Yes, I, I know. I remember that. But no, I didn't, I get that. But you also see, like, I caught myself doing it when I was watching Quantumania, trying to figure out Kang and getting mad at the movie and going, I'm trying to figure out where they're going rather than enjoying this movie. Yeah, and honestly, as someone who just saw Quantumania, like, a few days ago, one thing I like about Kang is that he's somewhere in the middle of this conversation because while there is an explanation for why he is what he is, it's kind of an insane one that is well beyond what a regular person is meant to understand. So and it doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't That's... matter. The point is he's fucking crazy and and so arrogant that he wants to destroy everything. He's a villain. <laughs> and he, he's great for it. But I think that's the problem we've re- we've reached with villains and the problem with like knowing the classification and the naming and the context and the everything of why the character does what the character does doesn't make the character any better. It, 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 can... it really doesn't serve anything if you can classify the structure and the theses of. It makes I... you feel good, but I argue narratively it doesn't make a difference. So and writers I, and have I would... gotten in this habit of audience proofing it. 
Okay, I agree with part of what you're saying, and I don't agree with part of what you're saying. So I agree that that can be a problem, especially if the writers are getting in their own head about audience expectation. I very much agree with that. I don't agree that being able to break down how a narrative structure or a narrative construct works doesn't isn't because you said it's like doesn't help anything it does it, you said it makes you feel good but that doesn't help well it's entertainment if it's making you feel There's... good it's enriching your enjoyment of it, it if if it is making you feel something that means that they've technically done their job in my definition of what you're looking for in entertainment i think that the big thing for me personally is that like it, it creates too many tropes and yes. then the trope gets kind of beaten to the ground well, there's a difference between media literacy and then what I'm going to call media academic academicry, fair, which is being able to dissect this versus being able to classify this. And I think that you can see where the two cross over and the two where people entirely miss the point, even though they can break down ex exactly why. Hmm. But anyways, and how I see this manifesting in villains is where you have to have these complex different types of villains because everyone can identify a villain and now they can identify the other subtypes of villains so if i don't want this character to be perceived as one note i need to write in all these extra things but the old idiom holds true if it ain't broke don't fix it you know what's funny i can think of at least one good reverse example of what we're talking about where a character seems like they're gonna be a complex relatable like kind of villain and then it's revealed that they are not at all and it's one of the greatest villains in cinema history hans gruber from die hard the entire point of that character at least one of the entire points of that character i shouldn't say the entire point is that he portrays himself as like a uh, a protester someone who believes in some sort of like you know natural you know environmental protection or whatever and that the nakatomi plaza building company is evil and that he's what he's doing is some sort of political statement and then it's revealed no all that's bullshit to hide the fact that he's just a thief who wants to steal their money he's a very good thief but it was all smoke and mirrors so he's literally the reverse of what you're kind of talking about i mean that's just what? one example but it's just funny that i thought of it so yeah it's a great example but tell me if that was made today if they wouldn't follow that through I don't know. I'd have to think about what constitutes modernity in this case, but that's why I, I thought that... I think if Die Hard were made today, they would do that 100% all the way through because my original thread before I got derailed on my path of villainy is there's this hesitancy of either people... I don't want to say people are uncomfortable liking villains because, who boy, some of y'all are way too comfortable liking villains. But there's this perception that an audience will not like this villain or enjoy the villain or more sinisterly they won't buy merchandise for the villain oh. which let's be honest that is the reason venom is the way he is today because they wanted to sell venom comics see also harley quinn poison ivy countless other hero and villains to anti-heroes they didn't feel comfortable selling the merch when they robbed banks okay Yes, but Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy are a whole different conversation. Really. Well, yeah, but so. uh, it's I'm using broad strokes here for terms that everyone's familiar with. Like, yeah, I, think I know. I'm just saying that... that all of a sudden Harley Quinn in our growing up went from being a villain to now is a hero. Yeah, so I'm just saying that Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy specifically are like they're very unique in what happened with them. So I just don't want to include them. A better example yeah. within the same context. Would, well, actually, 
it's funny because there are a lot of heroes that we think of as heroes now who started off as villains. Hell, Hawkeye did, and he's one of the yep. most famous ones nowadays. Rogue from the X-Men did. I We watched it basically happen with Mystique, even though I didn't like it happening with Mystique. Oh, fuck, it's terrible. Yeah. Boy. <laughs> but again, they couldn't... They didn't know how to write a story for a character that's a villain, so they made them a hero. Yeah, but well, here's another thing, too. If we talk about comics specifically, you can take a character get, and, have, and be kind of best of both worlds. You can give a character, like, legitimate understanding motivation without compromising their pure evilness of it two marvel villains who fit this very well and are two of the greatest comic villains ever are magneto and dr doom yeah i was just about to bring up magneto i was like yeah. in the in the same scope of x-men magneto like yeah magneto yeah. is the definition of an anti-villain because yeah he's understandable his motivations make a lot of sense he's but still he's a villain still a racist <laughs> <laughs> yeah Doctor Doom, similar thing. The fact that Doctor Doom is the way he is because he literally has seen the future, and the only future in which humanity succeeds, according to him, is the one in which he rules, is a pretty solid, heroic motivation for someone who's a pretty out-and-out supervillain. Let's talk about another fun example that we have a modern equivalency to. Green Goblin Norman Osborn. In the comics, dude's a dick and a psychopath. Like, there is, there's no gray to it. Like, no, the dude's just evil. I, I mean, I'm waiting, because as far as I'm concerned, in the Sam Raimi movie, which is the best version of Green Goblin for me, he is out and out a villain. But that's because Green Goblin and Norman Osborn are two separate people. So. Exactly. We divided the character so you could feel bad for the villain. Oh, that's... Okay, that's an interesting point, because Norman is basically a decent guy who's got some moral like shortcomings but he's not, i wouldn't call norman a villain at all at least in that context green goblin definitely is in the comics more often than not you're right norman osborn is straight and out a a villain so yeah like, i mean you want to try to defend norman osborn i got a crime list i can start reading off that starts with having sex with gwen stacy i will agree with you about the comics so I, i'm just saying that's why it's, it is interesting to look at the, the Sam Raimi version where they're like, all right, we can keep Green Goblin being a force of nature villain while Norman Osborn can be more of a tragic character. And then the MCU does it. We do the same thing. We do Thanos. I love Thanos. I think Thanos is a fascinating villain. I, I do like yeah. uh, what we got in, in this version of Thanos versus Thanos going back in time to steal the Infinity Gauntlet from himself, and then be like, oh, wait, this is too right in gloves. Well, actually, <laughs> oh, fuck. <yeah. laughs> but but, but a, great, a great single bit of information of why comic book Thanos is a straight villain while movie Thanos is an anti-villain is that comic book Thanos' motivation is completely selfish. I want death to love me, therefore kill everyone. Movie Thanos' motivation is, I want to save everyone from resource scarcity. That's a good motivation, but his way of doing it is kill half of everyone so anti-villain yeah but i mean we had red skull and we got him and we haven't had him back yeah red skull was out now all right hold on if we're all right i'm just trying to think about how the mcu breaks this i think the mcu actually has more out and out villains than actually anti-villains but that's because it has a lot of villains who don't go past where the movie is. And a lot of the best yeah. villains are anti-villains. Killmonger's an anti-villain. The Mandarin, proper Mandarin from Shang-Chi, is an anti-villain. Thanos is an anti-villain. But that kind of leans into what I'm saying. We're in this weird spot. Like, narratively, you can have so much fun. You can do so many cool things with a morally gray villain. But it really does feel like we're not comfortable with that, either because... 
writers don't think people will follow them, won't buy it, don't know how to write it. I don't know. It's, it's hard for me to accept that when literally, I, when I think that Thanos and Killmonger are are two of the most well-known anti-villains in existence. But people argue they're heroes. Okay. A good villain should not be able to argue to hero. Um, I don't know what that... Good villain, that's a very tricky terminology. I think that those people have... There's something wrong there. Yes, I'll agree with you there. But I think that they are well-written anti-villains in the fact that that can lend itself to certain people taking things like Malthusianism too seriously yes. is is problem, sure. So we're looking at like a, a lot of the like Thanos, right? Trying to trying to save everyone by by doing things that are terrible. What about like uh someone from Ant Man and Wasp, right? Like the the ghost character. Who wants what about to save herself? Uh, who's looking to save herself. I feel like that falls under straight villainy. Because it's a very selfish motivation. She is hurting other people in order to extend her own life. It's very much a classic like vampire idea at that point. And in the end, ends up on the hero side, more or less. Yeah, I suppose kind of. I, I admit, She's I don't She's going to get to be in Thunderbolts and... I know, I'm just saying that I, Ant-Man and the Wasp was not very memorable for me. I like Quantumania no. and Ant-Man 1 way Quantumania more. is so much better. No, the, I wanted to throw that in there as a little bit of a wrench, right? Yeah, yeah. I agree with you. I'm, I'm just saying that I don't remember too much about Ghost, so I can't say. Well, I, I don't want to spoil anything, but I'll just say Modoc's character arc. Yeah. It very much feels like, ha ha, I'm, I'm this, and then, oh, actually, I'm this now. You know what? I, I don't disagree with you that the, that what you're talking about happens too fast, but there's a whole other conversation about Modoc to be had that we should have yeah. later. So. But I'm just, I'm just more saying, when was the last time we got just a evil, despicable, bad villain that wasn't introduced to the show to act as a villain to the other, to our established anti-villain, anti-hero, what have you? Do you mean in Marvel specifically or in general? I'm trying to think in general. Well, in general, it'd be, it'd, be Jack, it'd be Jack Horner and Puss in Boots too, but... And his villainy is capitalism. <laughs> and also extreme selfishness and greed. But yes, yes. Capitalism, yes. Fair, fair. But again, we're talking about it like it's a big, oh my god, I can't believe they did this. They made a villain, like an unrepentant villain. And we're all like, holy shit, that's so new. That's so original. Okay, okay, fair enough. Uh, well, also, for the record, RRR has two straight of the best villains I've seen in a while. That are... The British rush to their defense. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, good for them, but uh, the governor in RRR is an evil bastard who values an individual bullet more than a person's life. That is an out-and-out -out evil villain. <laughs> Which is great. I'm not saying they don't exist. I'm just saying that there's this weird trend towards... Well, villains are, are are difficult. So what if we rebranded? I think it's less that and more of a trend towards trying to write completely three-dimensional characters with a possible misunderstanding that a force of Cruella nature... Cruella Deville is evil because her mom was killed by Dalmatian. That's not complex. If you let That's me finish... If you let me finish my sentence, I said, with a possible misunderstanding that a force of nature villain can't be a three-dimensional character. Like, I mentioned the Joker earlier. The Joker is the most famous force of nature villain probably in existence, and also is a very fleshed-out three-dimensional character, despite having no redemptive qualities at all. 
I don't know. I'm of the opinion that every time we make more of the Joker's backstory than he's just a dude, we're poorer for it. Uh, well, that's what I'm saying is that I don't actually accept any Joker backstory because the Joker's backstory, by his own admission, is irrelevant. All right, Richard, you're going quiet again. Weigh in. I mean, I was I was just waiting for the uh, the bit there. I don't know. I think that uh, my favorite version of the Joker is still uh, just obsessed with Batman portion. But I will agree that like his backstory is completely irrelevant. But he's more of a more of a villain than I would like to see nowadays. Because I'm wondering if it's also one of those those situations where you're you're a writer and trying to write this character out, but we've gotten so many of those anti-villains that it becomes one of those like if I don't write this, maybe people are going to step away from it. And then like the, the pressure to try to keep with, with the cookie cutter mold. Right. Well, I have a question for you, Wretched, and I I had my own thoughts on this, but you're a big fan of the flash. How do you feel the reverse flash fits into this conversation? Uh, I, I love the the concept of the reverse. He is, he is a hundred percent just a villain to me. The man's whole goal is just to mess with Barry. Like that's it. Also, for anyone who doesn't know, and this is why I think it's interesting in this conversation, the Reverse Flash's motivation, at least in one version, which is his original version, the Reverse Flash is a time traveler who is a massive fan of the Flash, who invented time travel, came back in time, and discovered through the a Flash museum that he would become the Reverse Flash, the Flash's greatest villain, which drove him insane and then self-fulfilled the prophecy to turn him into the Reverse Flash, whose only motivation is to make Barry as miserable as fucking possible. To because, make him suffer, yep. Yeah, because of a time loop. Then we get then we get even wilder. <laughs> we'll build our own speed force. Blackjack. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what I just realized is a great example of a genre where the villain is just the villain, and we just kind of let it be. That's the horror genre. Freddy Krueger kills people because he's a bad guy. We don't really need to go into why he does that. And when we do, we get bad stories. Yes, but that's a weird example because it's almost universally accepted that the Nightmare on Elm Street remake would have been better if they leaned into the idea that they were hinting at through most of the movie that Freddy wasn't actually a child predator and that the kids basically all got him burned for nothing, and that's why he was a vengeance spirit, and that the movie actually becomes ruined by him being revealed to... No, he was actually just evil to begin with. Yeah, and I mean, that's a that's a fun example. But I'm saying, let's just go down the list. Jason's Michael a better Myers. example. <laughs> well, Michael Myers, Jason, Ghostface, countless killer monsters. Well, you know what's funny? And- Jason and... The, the big important difference between Jason and Michael is vindictiveness. Like, Jason kills people because they're in his way and on his his home. It, Michael kills people because he's pure evil and wants to watch I was going to say, die. yeah, because Jason, to me, always just feels like a force of nature. Like, if, if there's an alligator in the lake, don't go to the lake. <laughs> exactly. Well, <laughs> like, no, eventually he goes to New York and does it. Uh, that was not... But he did not want not, to go there. He got yeah. dragged there by a cruise ship. <laughs> he did not want to kill people in New York. They put and, him in New York. Okay, Jason Stace and... <laughs> But no, I think it's interesting that horror as a genre goes, we have straight villains, people root for the straight villains, we don't bother wasting time creating complex reasons why this villain is doing what it's doing. And it just feels antithetical to like the whole, the grander scheme. 
I mean, I know, I don't know if you guys kept up with Walking Dead at any point. Nope. Well, up through, up through the death of the Punisher, whatever his name is, I paid attention. So season I, two. Yeah. Okay. I made it a decent way through. I I, I got to the Negan arc to the. Point okay, good. Where, then you can yeah. weigh in on that one. Because I fell off long before that. But I know everyone was excited for the introduction of Negan because he's a stone-cold, badass, bad villain that somehow looped around to, and now he's part of the core group. I didn't know that. Into that portion. The show stopped for me when a particular character died. I'm trying to figure out how to spoil this. Yeah. It wasn't necessarily that, like, I lost interest more than just, like, time constraints happened and then I just never got around to getting back to it, right? But more, I guess, what I'm trying to figure out is, and I think we've kind of talked around it and around it, is this weird cycle that we're caught in of every villain eventually has to come back around to having a tragic backstory that excuses their villain. I see, yeah. and that's, I think, hold on, that's a key word, excuses. Because I think there's a very important difference between excusing their villainy and justifying their villainy. And I don't, th- and I think that different writers and different characters uh, will be on opposite sides of that line. I think that comes down to justify... It, it becomes your own personal morals. And yeah, but I feel like there's really intent... Pulling for... I, I do feel like there is an intent there. Like, like we mentioned Ghost earlier. I feel like Ghost is, on paper anyway, meant to be her villainy is justified by her situation. Whereas we look at someone like Thanos... And uh, it's not a tragic backstory necessarily, but his is supposed to be also, like, justified, not excused. Or, sorry, I had it backwards. Ghost is supposed to be excused. Thanos is supposed to be justified. That's what I was trying to say. Yeah. But I don't know. This weird search of the things. Let's go back to what is a really good example of this, which could be argued started the whole trend. And that was Maleficent and how they did her backstory and reframed her as the actual hero of the story. Well, okay, so Maleficent, fresh. In, Maleficent in the original Sleeping Beauty story is a straight villain. She's a narrative villain and a force of nature villain, as visually delimited by her human form and her dragon form, actually. The story of Maleficent recontextualizes her, yes, as having different reasons for... Or actually, just quote-unquote, having reasons for being who she is and while i would say that she is the protagonist of her story obviously i never felt like the movies were trying to turn her into a hero but that's how i felt i argue well that's the problem the first half of that movie and the back half of that movie are two very different things of that first half of the movie is very oh this is going to be vengeance and scorn and we're going to watch this and the second half is but then she learned to love and the story of her being a villain greatly exact mis- exaggerated and she actually is the hero of the story it's like i'm not sure i buy all the, the people i was gonna say and all the people in the town are just okay with the feywild growing right up to their gate and we're just gonna ignore all of the people that you know got crushed or maimed this is then, they did, then they did a sequel where she was the straight-up villain hero. And, I mean, it could be argued you could take it back to Wicked, which is obviously what inspired this. And I'm not saying this is a new trend. I'm just saying it's a weird, observable trend. I, I, it's funny because I remember when Cruella DeVille first was – or Cruella was first announced. I thought, there's no way. There's nothing yes. they can do. There's no narrative, like, 
backflipping they can do to make me root for the girl who wants to kill 99 Dalmatian puppies and turn them into a coat. I do not care what backstory you give Cruella DeVille. She will be pure fucking evil. <laughs> and I still I still say that uh, that movie doesn't exist and you guys are just gaslighting me. Oh, obviously. So I'm saying that, that doesn't... No, I don't care what happened. That doesn't excuse where she goes and what she becomes. Yeah. No. I will, I will say work. that is a perfect example of, I think, what you're talking about in that the fact that someone even tried to do that to Cruella yeah. is... No, Cruella never needed that. It doesn't... It doesn't benefit her at all to do that to her and which is right, I mean, Emma Stone is a great joker exists let's look at joke joker Ugh, exists i hate joker so joker was academy award nominated yeah because it was basically the king of comedy done again it doesn't matter people fucking love that movie it is a movie that justifies the actions of the joker i feel like it makes him you actually can root for this character I feel like the only reason people love that movie is because Joaquin Phoenix kills it, but whatever. Uh, there's a weird, complex, muddly thing. Up Not counting the you... worst groups of people that we both are piddling yes. around. Yes. So but then we kind of go like the people that cosplay as him. It's like, I, I don't know. I mean, I would cosplay as the Joker, but I would do so as the I am a force of nature villain. <laughs> so... I mean, to me, Joker's a character that I grew up watching him Joker gas people in cartoons, which was a fate worse than death because yeah. the writers were not allowed to depict death. So <laughs> no one's ever going to make me think the Joker is anything but a villain. Now, are there aspects of him that might be seen in different light? Yes, I particularly love the comic where he finds out that Red Skull is an actual Nazi because there's a crossover comic, and proceeds to then fight against Red Skull because he's a supervillain, but he's an American supervillain. And that's kind of, like, funny little thing I like. And that means that in that story, he gets to be on the side of the heroes, but doesn't make him a hero. <laughs> and there's, like, the other kind of underlying problem I have with creating justifications for villains is, like, we have Nazis in America today, and Nazis are very hardly trying to rebrand the idea of Nazis or rework character Nazis. Like, I don't know if I want this being done in my fiction as well. Sometimes a bad guy should just be a bad guy. Richard, you were going to say something? I was going to completely agree with that. I, uh, it was more of an offhand comment, but I, uh, I lost the train of thought. Oh, no worries. It happens. <laughs> now I'm the origin of your villainy. <laughs> oh, this is this is my villain arc, boys. Now, uh, now someone needs to be an origin of my villainy, and we can have a full circle here. So, right. But I mean, let's talk about the big fun one of the Reddit meltdown that happened for the boys subreddit when they discovered that Homelander was in fact the villain of the show, which fucking amazes me. Like, I don't again go back to media literacy. <laughs> No, you guys are you guys are messing with me, right? Like this this is like all a big play. That's not a thing. Oh, it's a very big thing. Oh and, my god! Yeah, there was a group of people who see Homelander as the actual hero and were scandalized by people pointing out that Homelander is the fucking villain of this entire show. <laughs> what do you? They still it just, are. It just straight murders people. What do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I mean Homelander is a great example of there is. No ifs, ands, or buts. No greater exemptions. He's a sociopath. 
What's and funny we're not is that going to try and redeem him. The boys is I I really came to love the boys. I have watched all of the boys that's out. I'm not going to read the comic because everything I've heard from people who no, have read the comic. it is that no, the comics the comics not nearly as good as yeah. the show. The comics not good. I'll say it. But the boys comes down very hard on a we can have villains, we can have anti villains, and we can have anti heroes. But there are no actual heroes. The closest thing to an actual hero we get is Starlight, and the first two seasons spend a great amount of time basically beating her into at best anti-hero placement. Which that is something I don't that I does bug me about the boys, which is weird. Well, because as the boys cold-hearted and cynical. But there's a reason for that. Okay, in comics, in DC comics, it's widely kind of considered that Superman is the bar by which other superheroes exist. Superman being the pure, like, good soul he is, essentially sets the moral compass by which the rest of the universe functions. So there are other universes, like Watchmen is literally an example, uh, and I believe there was some interview with Alan Moore where he almost confirmed this. Watchmen is not just what happens if superheroes were real, it would suck, it's what happens if superheroes are real and there's no Superman to be the the bar by which they are standardized. That's what creates the world of Watchmen, is less that there are superheroes, and more, there's no superheroes, or there are superheroes, but no Superman. And so the boys is operating on similar logic. When your version of Superman is morally corrupt, then he creates a universe around him that is just as, if not more so, morally corrupt. <laughs> I guess, and I agree, but my problem with the boys is it has a very strong air of, oh, you think you're better than me, do you? Which I love because it is a uniquely American show, and that is a uniquely American attitude. Yeah, although I will say that uh, by season, whatever the last season was, they almost three, they almost directly used that very idea as, like, center stage. I mean, the entire point of Soldier Boys, like why he is the way he is, is because even becoming the greatest hero in the country, his dad still saw him as a weak kid who took the shortcut. Yeah, no, I thought I liked The Boys, but it also, again, it has a very... But I'm getting off track. The Boys did and continues to do what I want, which is give us villains that are villains, do not try and make them redeemable at all. Just go, no, this is our villain, this is they're a bad person this is this is why well also one thing that we've kind of papered over is that there is a very much a subjectivity to it as well that's really hard to get away from because like one of my favorite pieces of media period is berserk i have a tat i only have one tattoo and it's a berserk tattoo the villain of berserk is a guy named griffith who is almost literally the devil from how he's visually depicted to how his storyline of his fall from grace exists. And there are still people who, there's literally a joke in the community. Griffith did nothing wrong, which now is like a a joke making fun of the idea of saying something ludicrous, but that's because there were actually people who were trying to justify and defend Griffith's actions, which included rape in front of the main character. So, and one of your friends, by yeah. the way. <laughs> exactly. You know, it gets it gets worse. Don't worry. <laughs> so, like, that's an example where, to me and to a lot of other Berserk fans, Griffith is out and out a villain. Yes, he has a an arc that led him to his villainy, but 
that does not stop the fact that he is an out-and-out overt villain. And yet there are still other people who see him in other lights because of their own personal biases and histories. And you, it's, you can't really get around that to a certain degree. Yeah, and I think that kind of represents the other side of this is people that are writing these characters see people being fans and going, I don't want to imagine that I have people that can like this character that are this terrible. I'm going to give them a patent excuse to like this character. And that's my thing. Because, I mean, you and I have both experienced with Watchmen when we say, I really like the comedian. People give me something like, listen, I know it's bad. I recognize here is the why. Same when you had when your favorite character was Rorschach. Like, I understand, but please don't judge me. Here are the following reasons why. Yeah, especially because comedian and Rorschach were both written to be basically the worst kind of people Alan Moore could think of. Everyone in that story, except Silk Spectre, is written to be a horrible fucking people. And the thing, like, we both made a point, like, we are not saying these are not bad people. We are saying they're interesting because they are bad people. Yeah, hell, the... And maybe that's what I'm missing. The primary villain of Watchmen is the definition of an anti-villain. Ozymandias is someone who, similar to Thanos, butchers millions of people, and the... You could... It actually gets kind of complicated because the result of his behavior is saving the world. I was going to say, yeah, because it wasn't his, like, whole motivation was still the, like... I have to do this because this saves the world. So right? it he, wasn't wasn't he the smartest man or whatever? Right? Yeah, Ozymandias is the smartest man in the world, and the line for him—I mean, I think this is on purpose—he blurs the line between anti-hero and anti-villain because his his motivation is heroic, his actions are villainous, and his consequences are both heroic and villainous. They're villainous in that he murders millions of people, and they're heroic because, hey, he was right. Murdering millions of people is what he needed to do to stop nuclear war from killing billions of people. Even within the text, and I don't think Alan Moore has ever answered, like, a lot of people going, but that doesn't work. That was just a short-term solution, and in the end, everything goes back to it. Well, we never seen, play around with that. It's hard in, to say. Well, they play with that. They play with that in, you know, the Watchmen series. Which is great. Which is great. And it was like, no, it kept having to go because, no, the plan in and of itself didn't work. Well, it's funny because the argument I think the show made more is that the plan does work, but it still does have a timeline. As soon as they, as soon as he can't keep up the facade, the plan will break down. (laughs) Yeah, but Ozymandias comes back and goes, why are you still doing this? This isn't how this was supposed to go. Yeah. So yeah, maybe that's it. Maybe the problem we're seeing or the problem I'm having is we're not getting villains that are interesting because of their villainy. They're interesting because of, well, here's all the other things that lead up to their villainy. And that has become too common. Well, I I would argue that the reason why that is happening is what I was saying earlier is that you've got writers who are conflating, oh, if I make them have a tragic you know, backstory or make them be relatable, that automatically means they're going to be more interesting no matter how their villainy actually is and that's just not true you can have a villain with or without a tragic backstory be good or bad depending on how the villain themselves is written portrayed performed whatever i think ultimately i will repeat what i have said many times before the internet was a mistake (laughs) wretched thoughts where we are i mean i i'm an it guy i agree like we're (laughs) we're over here like the the printer makes a weird noise and it's going somewhere. Like, we're getting it out of here. <laughs> I'm just saying, we're all happier we didn't have to list read each other's stupid thoughts 
Oh yeah, I'm, yeah. I, I mean, sometimes just just keep it to yourself, man. Like <laughs> it's fun. A quote I have I use in my daily life, and I want everyone else to. This is from Craig Ferguson. Before you write or say anything, ask yourself: Does this need to be said? Does it need to be said by me? Does it need to be said by me right now? If the answer isn't yes to all three of those questions, shut the fuck up. So real quick, real quick, as a, a little fun semi-exercise here, do you each have a favorite villain in fiction? Because there are some villains in real life that we don't need to talk about. Oh, you mean you don't want to talk about tankies? No, I don't. Do you have a favorite fictional villain? I do. Who is it? Uh, it I get shit for it, but it's still the comedian. The comedian. All right. Why would you say the comedian is your favorite fictional villain? Because he's evil. And the more you study why he's evil and why he is the way he is, he gets more interesting. And then it kind of gets down into what are some of my core fundamental beliefs about humanity is if you decide nothing matters then you revert, you become a selfish beast, which is at the core of, you know, all humans is that selfish drive. And he's just that cranked off because he's decided nothing matters up to including the rules that govern society. And that's a joke. And that's why he's called the comedian. Wretched. Do you have a favorite villain? In particular, like, this is a, oh man, you're putting me on the spot. I'd have to I think am. about it for a while. Well, okay. you don't want to say anything like mine, because if you don't got a prepared response, people are coming for you. People well, here, are still probably I, coming for me. Here, you'll have a little more time, so I'll do mine next. I do like Jobu Tabaki from Everything Ever All at Once a lot, because it's basically nihilism incarnate. But my favorite villain is Handsome Jack from Borderlands 2. Easy. And a big part of why is, one, he's extremely charismatic and just fun to listen to. It's a wonderful performance. Two, he is out-and-out out pure evil, but... It's an evil based on perspective that I really like because I'm an existentialist and I believe in different perspectives. The fact that he sees himself as the hero despite doing things like scooping people's eyes out with a spoon because they ran at him. Like, he is super evil, but we actually see how he becomes super evil and it doesn't justify or excuse him it's just oh here's how someone can become an utter raging evil sociopath and that's fascinating to watch so we got a sociopath a sociopathic rapist wretched you're that's the bar to get under <laughs> yeah i mean i it's gonna be someone in the flash rogue gallery it's just one of those i like so many of them but all for different reasons like i i love the concept of Eobard Thawne because of his like he not only self-fulfilled his prophecy but then was like I'm just gonna double down on messing with this person just cause like it, it, we've already lost we're done to the point where I don't like that he has this affinity of speed so I'll make my own but at the same time I still absolutely love Captain Cold because the concept of a uh, this guy who why do you do what you do to see if I can, right? Like in a world where there, we've got plenty of heroes, we've got the Flash, we've got Superman and all that. I want to see if I could steal, you know, that diamond. I want to see if I could steal that thing. Just because. You know what's funny? I feel like the way you describe Reverse Flash, and I very much agree with this, he is one of the most petty characters. Oh, and I ever. love it. <laughs> yeah. Like, petty is the true word for him. So. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. Well... 
I don't know if we have any concluding thoughts, but I thought everyone just ending with a little bit about their favorite villain might be a good way to end, since I don't know there, what they really come to. But Yeah, there isn't really a compelling one, because this was generally like a discussion of our thoughts on contemporary villains, how they're written, the stories, what, you know we, what? Like, what we hate. Here's what I will say. Here's my last concluding thought. There is no easy formula or answer to writing a compelling character of any kind and especially not writing a compelling hero or villain. If you're a writer and you think that making a villain relatable is instant ticket to making them successful, you're not correct. The villain has to be has to stand on their own and a backstory can add to that, but there's no easy answer. There's no easy trick, there's no shortcut. You yep. can always uh, you can always keep modifying the house, but it's got to have a good foundation. Yep. So that's my concluding thought. Okay. Well, then, since no one else seems to have anything, I think we'll move on. It's at this point that we put the we pull out the special box, which I know you've already stood on once tonight. But since someone else might be listening to this at a different day than the previous recording, here's the special box again that you can stand on, wretched. As thanks for coming and talking with us, and you can plug anything it is that you want to plug and this is separate from suggestions of the week so yeah but you can't do the same thing whatever i, I don't yeah i'm i'm, I'm plugging games workshop stop and make it everything monopause all right stop it <laughs> they're the real villains here <laughs> if that means something to you that it doesn't need to be explained if it doesn't mean anything to you we don't have time to explain it now so we'll have, a, we'll have another conversation about that later <laughs> <laughs> all right well then it's at this point we move on to our suggestions of the week since mine has already been touched on, I'm going to do this real quick. Puss in Boots 2, The Last Wish, which I think is still in theaters at the time of this release, but might not be, is very much worth your time. This is coming from someone who did not watch Shrek 3 or 4 and did not watch the first Puss in Boots, but I watched this one, and it was way better than it had any right to be. A lot of it is only average to above average, but the villains, all three of them, are solid, and one of them is has probably broken into my top five villains in all of fiction, and it's worth watching this movie for just alone. Ulrich. I got to, you got to bear with me on this one, because, well, I'm a simple man. I love strongman competitions, and I feel my stance on uh, strong women has been well documented on this podcast. Mm, strong women, yes. So when I discovered a Korean reality TV show that combines those two things together, I binge the hell out of it. It is called The Physical 100, and it is a Korean reality TV show where they gathered the 100 strongest people in the country and made them compete against each other to see who was the strongest. Okay. Sounds like a simple strongman competition so far. Well, it is and it isn't in that it's not just who's the strongest. They have all sorts of different tasks. They And each time they break down, you know, little by little. Like the first challenge is they all have to hang over a pool when there's all 100 of them. And, you know, you got to be the last one hanging. So it's not just physical strength. It's endurance. It's, you know, fortitude. They have another one where they get to pick their opponent and they wrestle each other. Hmm. Okay. Uh, Another one involves carrying bags of sand across a rope bridge. But the whole system is designed that all of these things to eliminate are it doesn't necessarily give any one body type an advantage sometimes the bodybuilders will have the advantage other times it's a very cardio intensive one so the olympians have the advantage this does sound fun but the most it's really addictive and the best part since it's on netflix you can skip over the reality tv padding because ah. they're like hour and a half and they do these big long cuts and recaps and stories and i just go skip 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 
<laughs> but the weirdest thing, and this made me realize my uniquely American perspective is they're competing for, I think it's $230 million. It's a lot. Or $23 million, sorry. Still a lot. Still. Fucking lot of money. Still the a lot. general good sportsmanship, like they congratulate each other and shake their hands and they lose and they laugh and they cheer each other on. They don't care that they lost. They're happy just to have competed against each other. And I'm like, fuck, if you did this in the U.S., it would be unbearable. You know, it's funny. I, I was just talking the other day about how my favorite UFC fights are the ones where it's very obvious the two fighters respect each other and they, like, hug at the end. There are two UFC fighters who, rather than wrestle, he just wants the honor of having a match against him. Oh, that's, that's awesome. All he wants. And I'm thinking, you wouldn't get that in a U.S. show. It would be egos and dick waving. And the fact that men and women compete against each other and the women often do better against the men is kind of fun because it goes, yeah, the whole gender binary is not nearly as strong as people want to believe. Hmm. All right. On Netflix, uh, Physical 100. Very cool. Yeah. Dumb name. Very over the top. I loved every minute of it. All right. Wretched, your suggestion. Suggestion is uh, Potionomics. It's a little small game. They've made the company that made it made a couple like bigger ones, but it, it's been something that I kind of ran into, and I feel like it needs to get a little bit more love and attention. I feel like the art style that they they picked for it is really good, but uh, it's I don't know. We I'm sure that you've plugged uh, across the obelisk before, right? For card games, at well, least once. Yeah, so imagine like a the card games more you having a conversation on how to sell your potion. So you're you're playing like a, a tiny bit of Harvest Moon, which is like an old farming game, right? To collect ingredients to make these potions. But the core amount of the game is you trying to convince people when they come into your shop to buy those potions. But how that's done is via like this really interesting card system. And I've found myself putting a lot more time into it than I thought I would. And I, uh, I just want to get more people to take a look at it. I think that uh, I think that people will enjoy it. All right, and this on Steam. This is on Steam. Yes. All right. Cool. I push a lot of indie games. <laughs> I, I, Nothing wrong we, with that. Ulrich and I have done two episodes of what we call the indie roundup, where we just talk about indie games we like. And I think most of my ones I talk about were ones that you bought me. So <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> yeah, you guys want suggestions? Hit me up in that Discord. <laughs> He would be a good guest for another indie roundup. He knows a lot. So Yeah, I'm not, not opposed to that. Anyway, thanks again for coming and hanging with us, Wretched. Oh, of course. Thanks for inviting me, guys. All right. I think that could take us in the outro, Elric. All right. Well, thank you all for listening. Be sure to like, share, and subscribe and do all that. Otherwise, you may, in fact, become Axel's villain origin story. And I'm telling you, Axel would not make a very interesting villain. <laughs> yeah, this. Well, he only says that because I still haven't given him a death ray yet. Yeah, <laughs> it's always I'm not that type of engineer, or so he thinks. Anyway, whatever platform you're currently listening to this on, thank you for doing that. We're also on a bunch of other platforms besides the one you're on, including Spotify, where you can rate us, which you know appeases the internet gods, or Fireside Alliance, where we got a bunch of other cool people that do cool stuff with us and. You know, it'd be cool if that one could grow because all those people deserve attention. But if there's some other platform you want us to be on, tell us about it. And if it's within our capability, we'll make it happen. As always, this has been Lord Commander Orc. And his shield brother, Axel Wright. Be sure to tune in next time. And as always, stay honorable. <laughs>